Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod, and we're here for a Penn State preview show. But before we'd like to start, I'd like to... Uh, remind you that if you want to support the show financially, either through a one-time donation via PayPal or Venmo, you can go to thefinalfoursnotontheschedule.com slash support or tffinots.com slash support. There you can become either the, do the one-time donation or you can become a patron of the show and you can do a monthly recurring donation. Uh, there are th- multiple levels you can donate at. There's the Scott Skiles level, which is $5 a month. There is the Draymond Green level, which is $10 a month, and you'll be recognized monthly. And there's also the Mateen Cleaves level, which is a little bit pertinent to the next announcement I have. And that is once you, that's $25 a month, and you get a free t-shirt uh, that was sent out. And that actually is the next thing I want to mention, because our t-shirts are here. I mentioned it briefly after the Northwestern debacle, and they're $25 a piece. You can go to our website at the thefinalfoursnotontheschedule.com slash merchandise, or just go to the website, and at the top, you can just select merchandise. You can see the logo there. It's a pretty cool logo. It's a pretty cool shirt. I'm looking forward to getting mine. Uh, and so those, we're going to put out one order, and that is going to be, it has to be in by noon, I think we're saying, on this Friday. It's important to recognize that it is early in December. We have no idea as far as suppliers and etc. You know, what timing we can actually get. We will get them out as soon as we get them. So my hope would be that you could get them for Christmas if you want to do that, but we have no idea at this point. Uh, and so I don't know, Rod, if you want to mention anything else about those shirts. Yeah, I, I think that's the most important part I want to emphasize is that uh, we're, we're doing our best by providing that cutoff date to give it a chance. <laughs> but that's all it is, is a chance to arrive by the holiday. And, and the reasons for that are varied. There are vagaries in terms of the people who do the printing. Um, there are issues that are going on. Any of you who exist in the world probably understand <laughs> that there have been these, these issues with supply chain that affect seemingly almost everything, things that you were, you were used to being able to get instantaneously or nearly so suddenly aren't available instantaneously. Well, Believe it or not, that also applies to things like T-shirts. And so I, we we can't make promises. We All we can do is assure you that we're going to do our best to get product out as soon as we possibly can. But is it possible you don't get it until January? Absolutely. Um, the product itself, it's going to be uh, a dark green shirt. So in keeping with the Michigan State color scheme generally, you can see a mock-up of it on our website, as, as I think Erica mentioned. And um, it's a high-quality 
garment. So this is um, this will be a rain spun uh, t-shirt. So it's a little softer than your standard, say, Gildan t-shirt. Um, it'll be nice. It'll be a nice feel to it. And uh, it'll be a good quality product. And these are, just so you know, these are screen printed. They're not direct to garment. So um, the intent is that the print will last longer through repeated washing, et cetera, et cetera. So that's probably about as much as you ever need to know about <laughs> T-shirts. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the intention here. And and a little known fact is that Rod is somewhat of an expert in shipping large quantities of T-shirts. Well, so we- yeah, in T-shirt <laughs> production and um, and shipping logistics. Yeah, I've uh, I've had more experience probably than most people as um, as part of my uh, part of one of my day jobs. I, I know I talk here occasionally about the the lawyer in business, um, but there are other things I do um, for, uh, uh, professionally. And one of those involves dealing with garments in sometimes large scale numbers, um, and even shipping them in large scale numbers. So I know a little bit about that stuff. And, uh, that's why that experience is, um, going into how we chose to do this, that, um, I wanted it to be on a, on a higher quality, um, t-shirt. Uh, so the majority of people, I think, will will uh, have a better experience with it once they get it. It'll last longer. It'll feel better, et cetera. I'm looking forward to getting mine. And I just want to be clear to anyone who's listening that Rod does not run a, his own sweatshop in downtown Detroit. So don't worry. <laughs> no. That. He's not that kind of garment business. <laughs> I wish. Uh, no, no. Unfortunately, most of my experience in this world, the only one doing the sweating has been me. <laughs> Um, at least, at least after that, not literally sweating, producing the shirts. That's the one thing I haven't done. I'm, I'm not working a, a press. Um, but other than that, have I, have I been in the shop many times? Yes, I have in July when it's piping hot and those machines are running hot. Yeah. I've been in there. So, yeah. And uh, he's, he's thrilled. He can't wait to go to the, the post office and mail all these things out. So, um, yeah, that's my other favorite thing to do is, uh, <laughs> being an attorney, MSU basketball, standing in line at a post office <laughs> with a bunch of packages. Those are my three favorite things in life. The nice thing about the show, there's hardly any sarcasm. So, uh, we're going to, we're going to move on to, let's talk about the, some basketball here. Uh, we're, let's talk about Penn state. So, Michigan State is coming off back-to-back losses, bad losses, I would say. One, Notre Dame, which we kind of excused away because they were tired and mentally and physically from the, all the travel, I think 10,000 miles in the first eight games of the season. Uh, but then kind of laid an egg, I guess you'd say, against Northwestern, just unable to play defensively. We should pause there for a second because Izzo went to some length last night and again today. And look, you can you can choose to buy it or you can think he's excuse making, you know, makes no difference to me. I imagine the fan base is somewhat split, but his view is that this is still affecting them, that it affected them last night. He was he was not happy, but he was less unhappy than I thought he would be. Mm hmm coming out of that Northwestern game. I think he was more inclined Look, where he was getting to wasn't even as much not getting rest as that. They just haven't had time to practice. And when you're also adding in that they've had guys out, 
it's yeah. compounding the problem. So in any event, buy it, don't buy it, you know, whatever. But that's what the coach says. Yeah. Well, and you think, especially when it comes to practicing, especially when you're losing two of your main players, never having an opportunity to practice in that, because that's a, you know, there's been a tight window where they've been trying to play all these games to try and incorporate lineups that make sense and get people used to playing each other. It's the yeah. ideal situation is not during a game to figure that out. It's obviously a number of practices. Unfortunately, people, same's going to apply to this game. You know, they played last night. We're recording this Monday evening. So they played on Sunday night. They have Monday. I would imagine that they'll be leaving for state college sometime tomorrow, later tomorrow. And then they play Wednesday night. So once again, no real time to get in much in the way of practices, not a lot of recovery time before the next trip. And this is the hand they're dealt. And Oh, by the way, Penn state's been sitting since God, I can't remember what day they played Clemson. It was either Tuesday or Wednesday last week. I think they will have had at least a full week off to prepare for this game at home. Yeah. So you know, again, not making excuses, just describing what is right the, now. The situation, how it is, yes. Penn State is six and two this season so far, with losses of Virginia Tech and Clemson by close margins. Yeah, those those were both games they could have won. I, I actually watched both of those games or large portions of them. They were right there. Yeah. In both of those games. The the Clemson game, I believe, went overtime and they lost. Right. I think you're right. And and I think, um, well, you've, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, a little bit later, just how you've been sort of intrigued by this Penn State team and sort of the situation they're in. So they are ranked 36 overall in Ken Palm. They're 29th on offense and 58th on defense, shooting very well, obviously, to be ranked so highly offensively. They're shooting at 40% from three as a team and 77th uh, overall uh, for twos. They shoot about almost 80% from the line, but don't get there a whole lot. No offensive rebounding. They're ranked 353rd, which... That has got to be just about the bottom. Uh, and they right do there. Yeah, they take care of the ball really well. They're number 12th in turnover percentage. And defense, okay, solid. And the, I guess uh, the one big thing about them with defense, it, or I guess, well, that kind of goes to defense and offense, is that they're a very small team. Yeah. Um, look, uh, offensively, the first thing you got to understand is that this team is built around the three-point shot. More than half their shots come from outside the arc. So that's what you're dealing with. And you're talking about a team that depending upon how you categorize Seth Lundy is starting either three guards or four guards. I would say four because Seth Lundy is mostly a perimeter player, even though he's nominally their four man. Um, there's very little size that they play. They have a freshman NJ who's 6'9", who I think down the line is going to be a pretty good player. And he can contribute now, but he's not – I mean, I think he's playing like 14 minutes a game. He's not a major factor for them. In fact, I think if you watched the Virginia Tech and the Clemson games, those two teams were able to work Penn State a little bit in the paint. Um, remains to be seen if MSU can do that. As effectively, but but Penn State is really offensively built around the three. But then the other thing they do, which is is going to present some interesting challenges, is they use their guards, particularly Pickett, who's their best player, 
in a lot of inversion stuff. They post their guards. I mean, Pickett really plays out of the post a lot. And he doesn't just play to score. He also uh, initiates offense out of the post because he's, he's having a tremendous season um, playmaking so far. Uh, and a lot of that you'll see comes out of the post. He's really the only guy in the league that I think is a good physical matchup and even a decent match stylistically for A.J. Hogard. Mm-hmm. They're similar. They're not exactly the same player, but they're similar players. Also, like A.J., he's not a great jump shooter. He's really the only guy in that group who isn't. Um, I think he's down around 31%. But that's what Penn State's going to be offensively. Um, they're a unique team in the big 10 in that they really just don't care much about not having size. It's a lot of six, four, six, five guys running around shooting threes, occasionally posting guards up. It's they play with a lot of energy. It's, it's a fun team to watch. It really is. It's not, look, I wouldn't want to have a steady diet of that on a team that I care about, but they are an entertaining team to watch. I just, when I look at them, a lot of people seem to be, I've, I've noticed at least, there seems to be this little undercurrent of enthusiasm for what they can be this year. And I think in another league, I'd be more inclined to buy into it. I think in the Big Ten, when you, you know, I, I, I honestly, I cannot wait to see them play Purdue <laughs> because the idea of this team against a Zach Eady team. <laughs> is just irresistible force versus a movable object type stuff. I mean, it really, you want to talk about contrasts. Wow. But not only that game, you know, Michigan, um, you know, Indiana, lots of teams that rely on their size and the big 10 is still loaded with it. Maybe not as much as the last couple of years, but still a lot of size running around this league. And it'll be interesting to see Penn. I, I tend to think over the long haul, it's going to be a problem defensively for Penn state, not scoring the ball, but defensively, I think they're going to have problems uh, stopping teams in the paint. And it's going to be too easy for opponents to score regularly on them around the rim. Right now, their defensive numbers are not bad. You know, they're holding up, but I don't feel like they've seen, you know, you look at Michigan state, you look at the caliber of big men, Michigan state has already seen. There's nothing the big Ten's going to throw at them that's going to be markedly different than what they've already encountered. I mean, it's been big man after big man after big man, right? Yeah. Um, Penn state got kind of used by Clemson and Virginia tech in the paint. And trust me, there aren't any drew Timmy's or Oscar to floating around <laughs> those rosters. So that's where the problem's going to be, but they're an interesting team. You know, we talked about it last year. Micah Shrewsbury really seems to have something. And I think it, it seems to me, looking at his recruiting, he's improving their recruiting. They've got a they are cl- freshman class they're pretty happy with that they got this year. They're not getting a ton out of them yet. But I think that some of those guys I mentioned, the big kid, NJ, I think he'll be a player in time. Um, and then next year's class, they think, is even better uh, for 23. And so I think he's going to gradually improve the talent level, but for right now, he's kind of dealt, you know, the hand that he's got and it's a very unorthodox team, but boy, they seem to play hard. Yeah. And that's, that's a positive, that's a positive sign for the future of this program. Yeah. You know, Michigan state looking at this game, I think when we're looking at the schedule 
before the season started. You're looking at Northwestern and Penn State, and then you head into a couple more non-conference games before you get into the, the thick of the Big Ten schedule. I think most people, I'll include myself, really anticipated it being a fairly straightforward 2-0 going into yeah. the January run, and then really 3-0 because I think the first game's Nebraska until you hit Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so lost, dropped the Northwestern game. I wouldn't say the, any, there are any panic lights going off right now, but there's definitely concern. And I think, you know, you drop this game and your chance of getting winning the Big Ten, not zero, but boy, it really makes it a lot harder. You pick, you get this game, pick this off. Well, now you've won a road game and you can just say, well, we split with, you know, just surviving without Aikens and Hall, really. And now maybe we can get, we'll recover. That's, that's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's big from that perspective and from a confidence perspective, but, but look, I, we've seen enough now over the last two, three weeks that I think it's pretty clear that this team has been, and it shouldn't be any surprise to anyone majorly impacted by the losses. You know, Aikens was one thing, but the Malik Hall absence, they're feeling in all kinds of ways. And, and I just think defensively is where we've seen it. There is very clearly a before and after with Michigan state on the defensive side that you're seeing. I mean, it's, it's there. The eye test tells you that the statistics tell you that. And, you know, look, I mean, last night, it's like, I I know I made this comment, but I'm going to reiterate it. The difference that it makes in having someone who knows what they're doing out there versus someone who doesn't. And I'm just talking about it. One spot can be massive Mm -hmm. because of the cascading effects that that can have. If you've got Malik Hall in there rather than Pierre Brooks, it's not even just about defending that position. It's about what that allows the other guys around them to do and how they can play. And I think that's where Michigan state is having a problem, you know? Yeah. Um, But all that said, look on a talent basis, the team that Michigan State put on the floor last night, should they have beat Northwestern? 100%. Sure. We all know that. Um, but there's more than just talent going into this stuff. And right now, when I listen to Tom Izzo, you know, he feels like he's got a wounded team in the sense that they're exhausted and they haven't had any time really to work on themselves. That would These things would probably be an issue even if they were fully healthy. It's just exacerbated further by that. The, the one thing I, I heard him say today is he doesn't regret the difficulty of the schedule. What he regret, regrets is how concentrated it was. And it's a good point. It's something we maybe haven't spent enough time thinking about or talking about. All these games jammed into November and the first part of December. And then once we get past Wednesday, it's clear sailing for the most part until January. Yeah. I mean, they have, you know, three plus weeks where they're not playing much. So would it have been better if it were possible? I don't know how it would be possible with some of these games to do that, but to spread it out a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. But it's just not because, you know, the, the feast week tournaments are during that week. That's when they happen. Yeah, right. Yeah. The ACC challenge is played when it's scheduled, always the beginning, you know, end of November, beginning of December. Um, the Gavit games is when it is the champions classic is when it is, you know, maybe the only one you could have done something with maybe would have been the, uh, the Gonzaga game, but then you're probably, your option is to just not play it. 
Yeah. Because they weren't going to do that in December. So. Yeah. And it's definitely worth, worth from a, you know, program standpoint, it's totally worth doing that game. I think from a, yeah, I think from this team standpoint, I think that was, that was a hell of an effort and it gave that group some confidence that I think they used to take into Kentucky mm-hmm. and win that game yeah. because they, they were there toe to toe with Gonzaga. Like, Hey, well, you know, whatever Gonzaga is or isn't this year, they're a name and they have a reputation and they have players that people are familiar with. So, um, that meant something clearly. Well, let's talk about the Penn State team. You've already touched on Jalen Pickett, a 6'4 senior guard, averaging 16.1 points a game on 49, 31, and 83 shooting. He also gathers in about 6.6 rebounds a game, averaging eight assists per game to just uh, one and a half turnovers. So he's the guy you were talking about who's going to invert things, and he's the one who you, you suspect is Mahogard is going to be the, matched up against him as I much as possible. I think he's got to be. I think he's got to be. I mean, I think... I think that Jaden Akins probably will see because AJ's not going to play forty minutes. Right. Um, Jaden Akins, I would be the guy I would logically assume would be the other guy primarily to deal with him, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, he is a unique player. You know, I thought he was really good last year for them, but he's gone up a level. He's just what I like about him is he really plays the game at the pace he wants to. He's not. He's not merely the player that Cassius Winston was and their styles are totally different. But in that one respect, you know how Cassius just always seemed, he never seemed hurried. Yeah. It always, the game seemed to be proceeding the way he wanted it to at the pace he wanted it to. That's kind of how I see Pickett. He just, he's, he's, you feel like he's under control at all times He's a very unique player, a very good player. Thank God he has not shot the three better because if he did, I don't know how you'd deal with him. That's the one thing that you kind of feel okay about, at least to date, although he didn't shoot the three well last year either. So I think it's safe to say he's not a great shooter. Um, But if he takes a deep jumper, you probably live with that. You know, he's going to do a lot more damage if he's getting into into the paint. And he's tough. He is tough down there. It is going to be a challenge, you know, and you look at Penn State's numbers. They do not get to the free throw line much at all. But, hey, neither did Northwestern. (laughs) And we saw what happened. So you can't count on that. It does worry me specific to AJ. He's going to be challenged to defend a very tough cover without fouling it. And that might be hard to do. Well, you can definitely see when Michigan State, and you saw a lot of this with against Northwestern, with you have the the ball screens where they, where Michigan State just switches a lot on defense. Um, yeah, I, it's this is the kind of situation where you may not want Walker to switch with Hogard, which means that Walker's got to stay above the screen probably to follow whatever shooter he's on initially, and then Hogard. I guess fortunately here he can go under the screen because you probably figure he doesn't have to worry as much about the shot. I would. I mean, you know, look, 31% doesn't mean the guy can't shoot at all. Right. So it's dangerous however you play it. But I would probably be inclined to go under versus picket as opposed to their other guards. Where the option of switching, which is probably what you'd rather, you'd rather probably go under screen than switch and have him go up with Walker. Yeah, but you're right. You know, switching, switching with anybody else is tough. 
I think AJ physically can handle it. The, the other way to go, you know, Penn State's been really good conversely at avoiding committing fouls too. But, you know, maybe AJ's able to put some pressure on Pickett. Sure. And get him to make a, to commit a foul or two he doesn't want to. That might be the best way of approaching it, but that is going to be a very interesting matchup because they are two put together guys for their position. So number two starter, Cameron Winter, six two transfer from Drexel. He's averaging eleven point six a game on forty nine, forty six, and ninety one shooting. Exactly what they wanted. You know, they they needed um they needed a shooter. And uh this kid played very well at Drexel. And he's fit right in, giving them a real shooting threat. You know, the, the thing about their other guards is, other than Pickett, is these guys are all shooting really good percentages. They are also um, the least hesitant group I've seen in a long time to take a shot. I mean, there is not much of a conscience. They will load up and fire, and he's one of those guys. But again, he's shooting a great percentage, so why not? Next would be Andrew Funk, a 6'5 transfer from Bucknell, averaging 11 points a game on 41, 39, and 67 shooting. So I suppose you'd say he's not in a shooting funk right now. No, and and he's the guy who took the Clemson game into overtime. He hit a banked three, just a <laughs> wild shot. But honestly, half the shots that kid takes are wild. We talked about, you know, and it was funny because I thought it didn't really happen very much when push came yeah, to shove. Right. Northwestern's guards, Bowie um, and Audige, those guys are known for some terrible shot selection. And they'll hit just enough of them that, you know, there's it's tough. It can be tough because you want, you're okay with them taking the shots they take and then they hit a few of them. What can you do? Um, as it stands, they did not display poor shot selection against Michigan state last night. Um, Andrew Funk takes horrible shots, horrible. <laughs> I mean, just falling away, falling out of bounds from 30 feet. I mean, just terrible shots, but he hits enough of them that you really can't relax. I think sometimes the problem is you're defending a guy like that. And he's maybe 25 feet away from the rim. And you're thinking he can't hurt me from there. Well, he might try. <laughs> this kid might try. And he hits enough of them that it puts pressure on you because you have to be conscious of the fact that there is no such thing as a bad shot in his vocabulary. Seth Lundy is a 6'6 senior, averaging 13.6 points a game on 55, 49, and 76 shooting. Uh, he's a guy I've always liked watching. He also averages a team high of 7.1 rebounds a game. You know, I, I, for a couple of years there, I was referring to him as uh, Lamar Stevens light, but he's a different player than Lamar Stevens. Lamar Stevens is a warrior inside. And I, I don't quite think of Seth Lundy quite that way, but he is leading them in rebounding. So he's, he's truly the definition of a modern college stretch four. he takes, I th believe a little more than half his shots from three. So there's that. Um, and, uh, and he's shooting a great percentage thus far. So you've got to guard him. And yet he's also able to do some dirty work inside, at least on the glass. Um, so he'll be a look, I mean, that's, that's, I assume that's going to be Joey Hauser's cover to start with. That's a tough cover because he's, Lundy can, can hit you from anywhere. 
he sounds a little bit like Malik Hall in some ways, you know, that hit the shot outside and then. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a little more perimeter oriented than Malik, but yeah. Uh, Finally for starters is Caleb Dorsey. He's the center. I'll use the air air quotes. The six, seven junior uh, didn't play much the first couple years at Penn state, but now is in the starting and uh, rotation. He's averaging three points a game and 2.8 rebounds a game in about 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean he's he's not really any kind of a center. He's six seven, but <laughs> he weighs he weighs less than than Dorsey does. Um, he's yeah he's a he's a body. Right. I don't mean to be disparaging, but that's that's what he is. He's not really a guy who's able to do a hell of a lot. But Penn State's got to got to play somebody those minutes. They don't feel comfortable enough to give their freshman a huge dose of minutes. So they've got to split it up, and and that's why you're seeing him him play, but not a lot of damage. And you know he's somebody that, as I mentioned, teams with even serviceable big men have been able to get some things done down low against Penn State. Sure. And so then we look at the bench, and a name that's very familiar to everyone is Miles Dread, six five senior, uh, started a number of times uh, over his career. Averaging seven and a half points a game on 44% from the floor and 46% from three with uh, 44 of his 45 attempts from the floor coming from outside the arc. <laughs> yeah. And he's always been a jump shooter, but I saw that number and I was amazed. <laughs> there used to be, and I wish I could remember the kid's name. You might several years ago and i can't remember whether it was the end of the lick lighter regime or the beginning of oh, fran's yeah, run yeah, yeah. there was a kid for iowa who i believe all and i'm talking well into the season like probably february all but one of his shots from the floor came from three and it wasn't a low volume no it was a lot of shots i can't remember his name either i can yeah, see him in my um, in my mind but i can't yeah. remember what he was yeah anyway, but I he was about, a yeah. wing he was a wing but anyway um this is, I was pretty stunned by that number. Cause if you'd asked me, I might've said, oh yeah, uh, dread. I would imagine he's over 50% of his shots but 44 <laughs> out of 45. I wouldn't have believed that. And, and the other thing that it does, you know, Penn state, and this surprised me because when I've watched them, you know, I'm struck by how hard they play. They seem when you're watching them, at least to me, they seem like a team with some physicality. Pickett, again, really unconventional guard, operates on the blocks a lot. And, you know, you would think with that description, oh, that's probably a team that gets to the line a fair amount. They don't, like at all. But it also helps stay off the line when all you're doing is shooting jumpers. And so it's not a surprise. Miles Dredd has not even attempted a free throw in eight games because everything's a jumper. Uh, next reserve would be Keba Injay, who you mentioned. Injay, you mentioned before, six nine freshman. He plays uh, about fourteen minutes a game, so not a whole lot different than Dorsey. Puts up five points a game and three point nine rebounds a game, and he's a guy with size. Yeah, not a not a ton of strength yet, but you can see the frame. He's active. He's got some athletic ability to him. Seems to run pretty well, and I, I would. They were high on him when they signed him. I can see why having watched him play, you could see the potential there. He's just not ready for prime time. You know, they, I think if they felt like they could play him 25 minutes a night, you'd do it. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because he, yeah. he gives you the closest thing to a real physical presence in there. They're not playing them that many minutes. And it's because I think they know if they did that, there'd be diminishing returns. So they're getting what they can out of him. But they're, they're a more conventional looking and functioning team when he's on the floor than when he isn't. He's just not able to be on the floor a ton. Uh, next would be Dialian Johnson, 6'2 junior, averaging 3.5 points a game on 46% from the floor, uh, only 35% at the line in about 13 minutes. Um, yeah, he's, you know, he started a fair amount last season. Um, never was a big impact guy offensively, and he's not this year either. He's there to just give those main guys winter, funk, et cetera, a blow. Um, but you know, doing a decent job shooting the ball and he's a veteran. So he's been around, uh, next would be Kanye. Nope. Not that one. Kanye Clary, five eleven freshman averaging 3.6 points a game on 57% from the floor and 50% from three, which is just one to two. <laughs> so very low volume plays about nine point minutes. He's, he's a guy they think could really help down the line as a point guard. Um, obviously they don't need him to play a big role yet, but he's been playing more frequently lately. So I think he's showing some growth as a freshman to the point where they're comfortable playing and more. And finally, for bench players, Michael Henn, 6'8", 245-pound transfer. He's on his fifth school in as many years, in five years. He's averaging two points yeah. a game on 50% overall from the field and 67%, just two of three for the line. From yeah, the, this guy's a little wild, and you're going <laughs> to see what I mean. I'm assuming he'll see the floor because – with Michigan State having some size, I suspect they're going to feel like they need to throw him in there for at least a, a turn or two. Um, yeah, uh, five schools in five years, man. That's welcome to welcome to 2022. Um, <laughs> it's and it's run the gamut. Like he he started 20 of 22 games a couple of years ago at Portland. So he was good enough to play at that level. But then last year he was at Denver and I'm not even sure that Denver's a division one school. I'd have to look at that. I know they are in hockey. I think they but are, I don't, but I can't, recall. I don't know that they are in basketball. I don't think they are. Uh, maybe they are now, but they didn't used to be. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the other places he's played, but he's bounced around. Look, he's a body. Um, he's a bigger guy at 240. And, you know, he's, he looks like the kind of guy I like to throw his body around. He's managed to hit two of three threes, but I, I saw him play. I, I think I'd let him shoot. Um, <laughs> let's put it that way. Uh, he'll probably see a turn or two, but again, I don't think they'll play him heavy minutes unless something really goes wrong. All right. Well, let's talk about the keys to the game. Number one is probably an obvious one is energy. You know, this Penn State team plays a lot of hustle. That's what you know, they play hard and Michigan State. I don't think they matched Northwestern's energy the other night. And, and so, you know, they got, they got to bring it because you can't take a night off in the big 10, especially when you're on the road, even though they're in the catacomb for the Bryce Jordan arena. Yeah. I think that this is, this is kind of a gut check moment for MSU. And really, if you look at the situation as to how it's developed, you would have every reason to be pessimistic about MSU's ability to match Penn State from an energy perspective. MSU is clearly at an ebbing point in terms of what they've got left in the tank. Penn State is at home, and they've been resting for a week. So you would think, okay, everything's against you. 
I've seen this sport enough. I've seen life enough to know that it doesn't always work that way. Mm-hmm. Regardless of all of that, Michigan State, if they're going to compete with a chance to win in this game, has to somehow find a level of energy that allows them to hang in there because I expect Penn State will play hard. Yeah, and for those of you driving around and we're trying to Google whether Denver's a Division One team, they are actually in the Summit League. So I just was looking that up. Right okay, all right. Uh, so next key to the game is the, probably the most obvious of ones is guarding the arc. You know, this is a Penn State team that takes over half their shots from outside the arc. And so can Michigan State, which I thought did uh, kind of okay against Northwestern, but still gave a lot yeah. of good looks to Northwestern. And I think a lot of that was the dribble penetration. So I guess I don't know if Penn State is is that type of attacking mode where they're going to dribble in and then kick back out. They're not, but neither was Northwestern. You know, again, Northwestern, not a team that attempts a lot of foul shots, but they doubled up their seasonal average per game in right. last uh, against Michigan State. Penn State shoots even fewer free throws. But, you know, will they have success? I Look, I think in this game, the way I would approach it is you got to do whatever you can to guard them on the arc, to run them off the line, mm-hmm. you know, because they've got guys who have proven to be shooting the ball really, really well this year. Um, so that's where it's got to start. And then from there, you got to figure out, okay, if they counter that by trying to go bias are we able to deny dribble penetration? Are we able to contest them effectively at the rim? And can we do all of that without fouling excessively? Because they do shoot free throws very well as a group. They just don't shoot a lot of them. So fouling them a bunch would probably not be a good recipe. But I think it has to start when when a team is taking more than half their shots from three and they're hitting 40% as a group, that's where you start. And it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge because, you know, you look at Michigan State's lineup right now. All right, Pierre Brooks is probably going to have to guard Funk. That's not going to be an easy cover for him. As I said, that kid launches from everywhere and anywhere <laughs> and not in rhythms that you're used to seeing. Like if you watch basketball, you can or you should be able to feel when a shot is a good shot, right? I'm, yep. I'm sure everybody listening knows what I'm talking about. Funk doesn't play that way. He takes shots at moments and in spots and in situations that you don't typically see. So it's going to be a real challenge for Pierre. You know, uh, we already talked about um, uh, Joey Hauser having to stay with Dorsey. That's a challenge. You know, so it's it's going to be interesting. And you meant Lundy, right? Lundy, was, I'm sorry. Yeah. I said Dorsey. Yeah, yeah Dorsey. Yeah. Uh, Seth Lundy. <laughs> sure. So the next the next key to the game is Pickett. We kind of talked about that quite a bit, the fact that you got a guy who's going to probably attack the lane and try and attack uh with in the post against your suspecting Hogard. I'll I'll tell you what would be a really welcome development for Michigan State. If they can do to Pickett what Northwestern did to Tyson Walker and get him in foul trouble. Yeah. It would change the dynamic of this game. Now, I'm saying that kind of hoping against hope because the fact is Penn State has just not committed very many fouls this year. But in fairness, he doesn't have to deal with guys like A.J. Hogard very, very often. 
So I would hope that Michigan State is able to perhaps take him out of the game that way. If they're not able to, then it's about, you know, doing a decent job of preventing him to get to the spots he wants to get to, which is much easier said than done. Um, and probably given AJ some help at times too, um, whether that's, you know, weak side help to, you know, try and try and, uh, rim protect or, you know, help in cutting off penetration. I mean, Pickett's not a straight drive guy either. He's one of these guys that can work himself into the position he wants to be in on the blocks. So it's going to require some patience from MSU too. Yeah. And that'll, and the, certainly the temptation will be for the guards to come down and and help and dig at him if he's going to start posting up and then leaving your guy. And then you got great shooters. Yeah. On the line. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And look, that's the kids averaging almost eight assists a game. (laughs) So that's, that's absolutely something you have to be concerned about is his ability to pound it, pound it, pound it. You send somebody, he finds a shooter, bam. Fourth key to the game is more scoring opportunities. So this is, suspecting that unlike Northwestern who applied a lot of ball pressure, I guess you'd say, and they got a number of steals where they had 10 steals, I think uh, last night uh, that you don't expect that from Penn state, but also, you know, Penn state doesn't turn the ball over hardly at all. So they're whatever the top 15 in the country, I think think, turnover percentage 12, something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, They value the ball, you know? So yes, they're not going to ball hawk you, but in turn, they're probably not going to kick it around much themselves. Rebounding, similar story. They completely abdicate the offensive boards. They don't even bother trying. But they're pretty good on the defensive side. So when all that comes out in the wash, you figure that they probably are looking at a push in those categories. Mm -hmm. Maybe a slight advantage in um, turnovers. But if you're Michigan State, if you can find a way to carve out an edge in the number of shot opportunities, scoring opportunities you get, that would be a big deal. I don't know if they're going to be able to, but that's something I look at because on paper, it doesn't seem very promising. Right. Uh, Finally size, you know, we've already mentioned that Penn state's a very small team uh, and Michigan state obviously has some size. And this is the situation where you're like, if we had, we had a Kohler who was more seasoned. You know, you've got a guy who's a threat yeah. to a pick and pop guy, like a pick and roll, or you have some like Sissoko diving to the, you know, diving to the rim, which he does do, you know, can you take advantage of those situations and catch Penn state? And I mean, because that, that'd be the, I, the one way I'd imagine us beating them. Cause we don't have someone, if we had Malik Hall, he'd certainly be someone who could sort of maybe punish yeah. him in the paint a little bit, yep. but we don't have him. Exactly. Hauser sort of does it. Hauser, I guess, could possibly do it, but he'll probably have Lundy on him, who's not too different in size, I think. Yeah, Joey, you have, you know, three inches on him, though. That That's possible. They turn to him. It's also possible that they just, they go to Madi in the post more than we typically see. Um, you know, look, Madi's been, I, I think for the most part, you would have to say um, has been a little more impactful offensively than anticipated. I think he's, I think he's averaging a little over eight a game, something yeah. like that, mm-hmm. um, which is fine, you know, and we've seen games where he's contributed much more than that. He was actually pretty important in the Northwestern game yeah, to keeping points. MSU alive, you know, um, but he's not, 
really a pure post-up guy. He's, you know, maybe marginally better than Marcus Bainham was as a post-up guy. But there are other ways for his size to play. So one of the ways that could happen is something they were effective with against Northwestern at times and has been a weapon all year, which is the, the lob and dive to the rim. Yeah. You know, his height can still play that way because Penn State probably doesn't have guys who can get up higher than he can to really disrupt that. So that might be a way that his size could come into play. Uh, you mentioned um, Joey Hauser. Maybe Joey could be more effective on the blocks. I, I talk about A.J. Hogard. I think for this team, A.J. Hogard getting in the lane, however he needs to get there, is always a positive. You know, there could be some things there. The, the problem is MSU doesn't have – I mean, this is a game – that boy, if you had Nick Ward, yeah, right, you'd be salivating, absolutely salivating. You know, you'd know they were going to bring double teams, and that would create its own adventure. But, <laughs> but really, the this is a team that's going to struggle when, as I say, when I see them play Purdue, Michigan, Indiana teams like this, I think it's probably going to be a long night defensively because. Um, short of their guards being really active and forcing turnovers through doubling or digging down, I just don't see how they're going to be able to really contain those kind of big men. Um, but Michigan State doesn't really have, you know, you mentioned Jackson Kohler. I, I made this comment last night in the first half. Right now, Jackson Kohler is reminding me as much of anybody as. Goran Sutan during his fresh redshirt freshman year, the first year he actually played. I think a lot of people probably remember that blown layup in Maui against Adam Morrison and Gonzaga that cost MSU the game, wherever they lost at triple overtime. But there was a segment in that game where Goran Sutan, I think, could have won it, and he missed a wide-open layup. Jackson Kohler is missing shots he should make mm -hmm. right now. And I think it's because... One, he's not as strong as he needs to be, and that'll be a work in progress. He'll get there in that department. But the other area, the more important area to me, is he just looks out of off kilter, out of sorts, because I think he's having typical freshman adjustment issues with the speed of the game, what it's like to play people that are physically peers or have an advantage over you whereas in high school even in prep schools you're not always facing that um that's what it looks like to me because he's he's making good moves he's getting good shot opportunities he's just not finishing them if you had him at a point where he was more regularly finishing this would be a game jackson kohler would be a big weapon in. right but we don't know what we're going to get you can hope that he shows up in this one but um yeah, so somehow Michigan State's got to find a way to make its size play as an advantage to them. It's just, in my view, it's probably going to have to come a little unconventionally on things like lobs at the rim, that type of thing, as opposed to pure post-ups, because I just don't see that in the equation as much. It's interesting. I wasn't I hadn't really thought about that before with Jackson Kohler, but you know, you think about it, he's an 18-year-old kid who's going up against 21, 22, sometimes 23 year old men. Right. And for men that the physical change between during those ages is pretty significant. I mean, you're not even allowed to play, you know, NFL at 18, 19, you can't really compete properly physically. And so it's easy to forget that he's 
kind of a young kid. And when he's playing high school, you're playing, or even that level, you're playing people basically your same age. So they don't have a huge maturation advantage on you physically. Uh, look, I'm not down on him at all. I mean, am I surprised that he hasn't been more productive? Yeah. I thought, I thought he would be more productive, but when I watch him, you see the footwork, you see the thought processes there. All those elements are clearly on display. He's just, he's not finishing plays just yet. And, and that, yeah, does it surprise me? Yeah. But again, I think about it and that's the comparison that comes to my mind is boy, this is reminding me a lot of Goran Sutan. And, you know, some of our listeners may remember there were an awful lot of Michigan state fans who were way down on Goran Sutan at that point in his career. I mean, I, you know, he had redshirted, then he, then he plays and, you know, the first high profile game he has, he, he blows a shot again, an easy one against Gonzaga. He continued to kind of struggle to find himself that year. And a lot of people talk, Oh, he's too slow, which was always garbage. He always had great footwork. Um, you know, he's not a big 10 level player. I mean, all that crap was tossed at him and he just kept getting better and better and better. And by the time he's a senior, he's the most outstanding player of a regional in the NCAA tournament that <laughs> Michigan state won and gets to a final four. And he was as critical to that team's success as anybody. So it will not surprise me at all. If Jackson Kohler gets to that point in his career someday, but right now he's, he's struggling. Well, Penn state is a four point favorite per Penn Ken Palm, which seems about yeah. right. Uh, yeah. And this is, this is gonna be a tough game. There's no question about it. I think it's a game that Michigan state could win, but I think they've got to play, you know, the margin of errors is very small for this team, especially down two players or one and a half players since Aikens is, will probably look a little better, but he's still going to be, I think struggling from endurance standpoint. Good news on him. Uh, Izzo today said he's fine feeling no effects of playing in the game last night. So that's good news. I know people were kind of holding their breath. We didn't even talk about it because it got obfuscated by the way the game went. But, you know, he, he got his foot tangled, I think, on a, on a play in transition and had trouble. He was limping around, and they eventually took him off the floor. And then he came back and seemed fine. But I still think it was important for Izzo to come out and let everybody know, yeah, he's, he's okay. He's, he's fine today. Recovery from the game, he's a-okay. That's good news because um, they desperately need Jaden to get back into condition and back into playing chip. I mean, last night got off such a great start. He hits the first shot of the game from yeah. three. They think, all right, away we go. And then he didn't score again. No, that's it. You know, yeah. He was four. He had some hand grenade shots where he happened to be the guy holding it with the <laughs> yeah, clock right. running out. So I don't really put a lot on his one for six because a lot of his shots were of that variety. It seemed. Um, and I actually liked the way he defended, but um yeah, it's going to look, it's going to be critically important that he is a little more in tune with what they need from him. It's going to be critically important that nobody get in foul trouble. I mean, that Tyson Walker foul trouble was a killer, absolute killer in both halves. Yeah, it was a killer. And, um, you know, you're right. The margin for error is very, very small, but, um, you know, you had the other thing too, and this is something I'm looking forward to our post game talking with Mike Garland about because he's been in that building a million times. 
I'm just curious what it feels like as the visiting team in that environment, because, you know, we always worry about you going to an opposing arena and you're dealing with a hostile crowd. And yeah, that could be a big problem. I mean, you can, if things start going against you, it can just feel like a wave. I mean, I think about all the times at a place like Mackey arena that that seems to happen <laughs> yeah. where you get down and a couple mistakes happen and they make a couple big plays and the crowd gets into it. And all of a sudden, it's it's like the world is coming against you but penn state because they don't draw at all it's it's a different challenge and i am i'm looking forward to asking him what it's like to play in that environment as a visiting team and what things you do to maybe manufacture your own energy because some what i was going to say was sometimes with a hostile crowd if you've got the right team with the right kind of maturity and mindset they can use that as fuel. Sure. I mean, I, th I think about a guy like Scott Skiles who's the all-timer. <laughs> yeah. Where he just used crowds getting on him. I mean, all those crowds in the Big Ten his senior year wanted to kill him. And I'm, I'm only barely exaggerating. <laughs> and he just used it as fuel. You know, there are teams and there are players that can do that. A place like Penn State, it's just this abyss. <laughs> You're staring at it. And I wonder about the difficulties that presents as a visiting team, like, oh, there's just no energy here at all. You know, you're that's unusual because in most other gym, any other gym, really, in the Big Ten, there's energy. It might be against you, but it's there. Yeah. At Penn State, it's not even present. So Michigan State's got to find a way. They got to find a reserve of energy, find that self motivation. And, you know, it's, look, it's a tough, it's a tough deal. There's a lot stacked against them in this one by the way it looks. Um, but I don't rule out that they can find a way to get it done. Tom Izzo's pulled, pulled games out in situations that were more daunting than this. We at least have the advantage that uh, you know Michigan State played at the PK-85, which had dozens on hand for most of those games. So maybe that'll be a similar energy level. <laughs> That's true. That is, the, that is the one place. That is the one place that you get that. Um where there's just no energy in the building sometimes is those holiday tournaments. That's a good point. And, you know, sometimes that's those games are really uneven and weird. And part of that is because of the time of year they're taking place. Teams haven't necessarily figured out who they are, but some of it could be that. So that's a good, that's a good point. That would be the only other time you really see it because otherwise, man, Michigan state, every other game they're playing, Game is at 6.30 on uh, Wednesday, so and stay tuned. We're going to be come on the air after that. Where the show should be out later that night. And we are going to, as we mentioned a number of times, we're going to have retired assistant coach Mike Garland on to help analyze the show or the game. And you know, we'll talk to him about some various things about basketball and this team this season. Uh, so hopefully it's after a win. Uh, definitely one we desperately need to, to keep a keep pace in the big 10 as you see some other teams have lost some games on the road too that you expected uh, favorites like illinois and indiana um so make sure you tune in for that show and uh i guess you know rod we've we didn't even talk about this off the air but i wonder too we've we have enough supporters now patreon during this big long break how about we do an ama you know ask me anything session for the fans if you want to mail in questions to me sure they can just so yeah, email to me at eric at tffinots.com and I'll just compile them and then we'll just do an AMA session and we'll answer basically every question that's not scandalous. So, so uh, and we'll, we'll kind of put together a show there and 
we, we'll see if we get some other content in. We, this is one of the things we've had enjoyed doing is other things outside of just games, but we're going to enjoy the holidays a little bit too ourselves and our, our little break. Um, and hopefully, Michi State can get themselves right there in that break too. But until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.